Okay. So, um, one theme that was brought up uh, was that of doubt, how to work with doubt. Here's one where I think um, perhaps there's some doubt um, being experienced. It says, I, I feel I am encountering so much anger, anxiety, uncertainty, and aggression in external encounters. Is that familiar? Yeah, I've, I've noticed that too. I recognize these feelings internally as well. I am trying to see each uh, incident as a chance to expand and become more tolerant and understanding, having mixed results. Yeah, okay. We can work off of that for sure. Anything else that um, wasn't you weren't able to write down but are, have been wondering and working with? Okay. Yes. Mm. Yeah. How to mix joy back in. How to connect with that, with all of this. Okay. Yeah. It's important. Anything else? Okay. I mean, that's plenty. <laughs> I don't know if I'll cover every single piece, but... Um, Yeah, all, all, all three questions resonate deeply. So, it's true. I've, I've definitely noticed that uh, the flavor of... Uh, of just random encounters seems, I don't know if it's just more sensitivity to um, just a more aggressive, uh, more kind of difficult, uh, unconscious behavior, or if it's just that that's been heightened lately that people are feeling um, just more unsettled and how that's manifesting out in the world um, if that's really true but certainly it seems that way whether it's true or not if there's more or less but it seems that way and it does act as a mirror of our internal experience often. I'm finding that just in the media. Uh, I have some really wise friends who are on media diets right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been thinking that might be a good idea for me (laughs) as well. Um, Sometimes it's just, it's as if I can't get enough. And I've been watching this uh, come up where there's the story of wanting to be informed, which I think there's some truth in that. I, I would like to know what's going on, and, um, and I want to feel informed um, politically and just what's going on socially in our, in our country right now. But then there's something else. There's another layer here <laughs> that I'm starting to notice that I'm, I, I'm somewhat fascinated with, and... Um, I've been thinking about it, and it was partly what I wanted to share tonight, so this kind of is working out. (laughs) And that is that um, it's almost like I'm looking for things to be upset about in the media. (laughs) I, and it's not that conscious, it's, it's really, it's almost like every, every time information comes up that is just either uh, really disappointing or uh, yeah, yeah discouraging um, upsetting feels just really not just not right this can't, this shouldn't be happening 
and I can feel just that come up. <laughs> and um, there's something very alive about the the anger and um, the feeling of that growl, that inner growl. Are anyone feeling that inner growl lately? <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing. Um, yeah, and, and there's something very alive about that. But there's also something, it's mixed. It's not clear. It's not... Um, uh, I want to. I don't really like the phrase, but uh, I, I'm going to say it's, there's something not quite clean about it. Mm. There's something I'm noticing in myself that is uh, uh, clinging to that that uh, the anger and um, the disgust that arises. There's something that is feeding off of that. It's like I can't turn away from it. It's, um, I remember, uh, this might be a, a silly analogy, but I remember years ago eating, uh, going to this really, one of, it's now one of my favorite restaurants on university, the Tibet Cafe, and they have this soup that's really, really spicy. And, um, and it's so good, but it just burns just you can f- you just feel like you're harming yourself in some <laughs> bodily way but it's so good that you can't stop eating it and i remember the first time having it i was at a table of five friends and we all ordered the soup together and we were all just woofing it down and just oh god it burns and we couldn't but we couldn't stop cuz it was so good and there's something it's kind of like that uh <laughs> Where it's almost hard to turn away from from um, from what's being what I'm hearing in the media that's bringing in uh, this anger and this grr, uh, this there's hatred even like I can see it. There's hatred that arises. I hate this, or even I hate that person. I see it. I'm just being really honest. And there's something a bit addicting about it. Something that feels very just about the anger and the hatred. And maybe that's understandable. But um, I don't think it's wisdom that is uh, addicted to it. I don't. It's not feeding wisdom. You know, it's... It's uh, this is this is the trickiness of of hatred that we can really easily feel justified in it. We can really get addicted to it. There's something about it where we just we just want more, and we can really feed it. And then you get others together. You know, the people who is who are l- listening to all this with you. And you get together at the dinner table and you start talking about it. And then that, you know, it really fuels up. Or you get together with people who don't agree with you. <laughs> and then it really, you know, that justification just... So, yeah, it's not wisdom that is addicted to this. It's, uh, it's that root of hatred there's the three poisons or the three roots, greed, hatred, and delusion. And from that, um, uh, we really hang on to this cycle, this rebirth of dukkha, of suffering. It's like we're hanging on to this wheel, the, the classic symbol for the wheel of samsara, the, the wheel of continuous dukkha. We're just reliving and fueling and reliving and fueling this pattern uh, that comes out of our hatred, our delusion, and our greed. And it's this wheel that has uh, spokes coming out, and it's like we're just 
hanging on to the wheel because it's familiar. There's something alive about it. There's something that brings us alive when we are fueled by our hatred and anger and feel justified in it. We feel really alive, which just, of course, fuels it even more. But we'll never let go of that wheel if we continue in that way. So media fast might be a good idea. But it has to go deeper than that. You can't just turn away from all of this stuff, right? This is what's happening in our world right now. So we can't really fully turn away. We can't turn away from each other. And we can't, definitely, we can't turn away from what's going on internally. This is all a mirror of what's going on internally. Um, when we see what's, you know, the aggression and, and the um, uh, unjust acts externally, and we see our reaction to them, it's really just working as a mirror for what's going on internally. Is my rage and hatred any different from uh, those that maybe are triggering my rage and my hatred? You know? No. It's the same root. The stories are different. Behaviors might be different. The root is the same. It's the same thing. The question about doubt uh, came up. Uh... when we are working with greed, hatred, and delusion on this level, when it's just so in our face, when we're having to actually face our own on on a pretty heightened level, I think that's really what's happening, what's being called for. And it's okay to turn away for a little bit and, and catch your breath. Sometimes it's really helpful to just titrate it all, just turn away for a little bit and catch your breath, because it's a lot. But then we have to come back we're being asked to really, really look at greed, hatred, and delusion. And it's messy, and it's ugly, and it hurts. We can feel the dukkha. We can feel the pain that this is causing within ourselves and within our, our communities and our larger community. It's hard to stay with it because of that. But that's what's being asked for. But because it's difficult and because it's confusing and messy and we don't always necessarily have the wisdom to hold it, sometimes our greed, hatred, and delusion is just stronger than our wisdom. It's stronger. How do we sit there with it, with wisdom, if it's overpowering our wisdom? How do we sit there with compassion towards it if it's way stronger than our compassion? So then this is where doubt weaves its way in. We get ourselves in this cycle of trying to see the greed and the hatred and delusion through the view of greed, hatred, and delusion. We start to try and figure it out through a mind that um, is not strong in wisdom and compassion, but actually um, is just a bit confused or really confused. Oftentimes I find that when I'm really trying to figure it all out or when I just feel really stuck, it's just not it's just not clear it's a pretty good indication that there's some level of doubt uh, underneath it all doubt in uh, our ability doubt in the future doubt in um, our practice and doubt is just another uh, a way of fueling that greed, hatred, and delusion. The more we 
allow doubt to continue, to not see it, the more it just fuels into our hatred. We get really, it gets upsetting. It fuels our greed. We start looking for the things outside of ourselves that's going to make it all better. We don't trust ourselves. And then our delusion, our doubt is so is really strongly based in just our delusion, not seeing things clearly, not seeing them for what they really are. And so in order to work with this, we first have to know and recognize that this is doubt. This is really what's going on. Not only is this doubt, but underneath this doubt, there's that greed, there's that hatred, there's that delusion. We have to really see it. It's the first step. It's the first thing we have to do is just know this is what's actually happening. These are the lenses that I'm seeing through. I'm trying to figure this all out through this lens that is not based in wisdom. And this is not easy to do. That's a simple instruction, but there's nothing easy about it when we're completely entrenched in, in all of this non-wisdom. It's why this practice is so valuable. We come and we sit and, and we bring attention to our body and to our breath, and it doesn't really... like. <laughs> it doesn't feel sometimes like we're really armoring ourselves to go through that greed, that hatred, and delusion. I'm just sitting here and paying attention to my breath and to my body. Like, what does it have to do with any of this? And um, it has everything to do with it. The honesty of the body just being here and the honesty of the breath just being here. Seeing if we can stay with that as some some uh, picture of of present clarity, this is true, this is actually real. This is what's happening right now. I'm just sitting here in the, this Berkeley Buddhist monastery with a bunch of people, paying attention to my body, paying attention to my breath, and then we see what arises. We see the stories of delusion and doubt come up. We see the emotions of frustration and uh, aversion and, you know, dislike and hatred. And um, some of that can also be, uh, we encounter it through our restlessness. It was a bit of a restless sit, it seemed, for some. It can be um, the wanting that arises, wanting it to be different, wanting it to be a certain way, getting stuck in a whole fantasy of how it should be or how we want it to be. All of this arises just as we're sitting here in this very simple way, practicing with the body, practicing with the breath. The wisdom is that which knows and sees it all. The wisdom is that which doesn't get caught up by it or fooled by it, that sees very clearly, now I'm breathing. Now I'm wanting. Now delusion is arising. Now aversion is arising. Now I'm noticing my body sitting here. And wisdom is the thing that that knows it all, that's watching it. And so the more and more we're paying attention through that lens, the more we're strengthening it. We have a better chance to actually be able to uh, work with, with these difficult states that are arising, which are so deep. I mean, these are things that are so deeply rooted, and we can see now, I think it's really interesting what's happening right now in our country we are living the karma of our ancestors. I mean, we are 
um, uh, living out the greed, hatred, and delusion of, of people who are no longer even on this earth anymore. And although they're not here, that greed, that hatred, and delusion, and the stories that have been spun from those states are still playing out. We're still on that wheel of samsara, playing it out over and over and over again because we're just not seeing it for what it really is. We've collectively believed in it. So it's an interesting time to be working with this. It's an interesting time to be a practitioner. There was a a Facebook post or a tweet or something like that that I read a while ago, a few weeks ago, that was a response to the election where um, the, the person posted something like, as practitioners it's now time for us to be the big kids in the room. Um, which I kind of liked the statement, the sentiment at the time. Um, there's something provocative about that. But what does that actually mean? You know, Maybe we take out the word practitioner and just take out, um, or in, instead replace it with wisdom and compassion. Wisdom and compassion isn't something we own as Buddhist practitioners. In fact, we may be lacking it uh, more than others sometimes. We're just human. Wisdom and compassion is a capacity of all beings everywhere, just as that greed, hatred, and delusion is. It's just as part of our humanness. So maybe it's wisdom and compassion that gets to be the big kid in the room. And can we tap into that? Can we dedicate ourselves to live from that? To keep looking for it? And I was thinking about it as... um, a sand, piece of grain of, uh, of sand that gets into a clam or an oyster shell. And you know how they then, that irritation, that little something, um, how these creatures can then smooth it over and create a pearl. And this takes a lot of time uh, and energy, but it's possible to take that real irritant and transform it into something that looks a lot prettier. But the truth is, I imagine if you are that oyster or that clam, it's still there, right? It's still this thing in your space (laughs) that you have to live with. It just looks prettier. And, you know, as practitioners, um, sometimes we get really good at that of taking uh, the parts of ourselves that maybe aren't so pretty and then somehow justifying it or or um, kind of smoothing it over or overlooking it in a way um, to go for maybe the larger... Uh, what we might consider a more direct path towards our freedom and awakening. I don't really need to look at that because, you know, I'm cultivating metta on a daily basis. So I don't, you know, I'm just going to go in this direction and leave this over here, this hatred or this delusion over here. It looks okay. You know, I, I looked at it. It looks all right. I'm, I don't really need to go back to that. But the truth is, is there's no freedom as long as we're hanging on to this hatred and this delusion and greed. There isn't any. It'll always be there. 
as that irritant. We have to be willing, we have to be brave and willing to look at uh, our mind, look at our heart and see where is that grain of sand? Where is that, that, that piece that um, needs more than just a smoothing over and a beautification? It needs to actually be uprooted and put out of our mind and in our heart. This is why this is a lifelong practice. It doesn't end as long as these roots are there. We just get to keep looking. Mm. With hatred, there's um, a really famous quote uh, that I believe comes from the Visuddhi Magga, which came, comes later after the time of the Buddha. And it's about hatred and how hatred, uh, when we are wanting to harm someone else, when we're feeling justified to, to throw our hate, you could say, at somebody else, it's like reaching down and grabbing a hot coal and getting ready to throw it. But really, we're the ones who get burned by that hatred. And so that little granule of sand, maybe it's not such a granule of sand. Maybe what's going on right now in, in the world, uh, not just in the U.S., there's, there's a lot going on internationally, too. This is not just a United States problem, is it? No, we're starting to see stuff come up in other countries that are similar. Uh, It's not a grain of sand anymore, is it? It's a fireball, and we're just hanging on to it, a lot of us. And it looks different. It comes out in different ways, but um, I just think we're getting this really amazing opportunity to get to see what's actually there, to see it for what it is, to call it out. One of the antidotes to uh, hatred is metta, the practice of loving-kindness. So loving-kindness is a, is a state of being. Um, a mind that is free from hatred, greed, and delusion, one of its natural states of being is uh, metta. It's not something you have to practice. It's not something you have to try to do when you're feeling free in the heart and the mind, metta, this, this friendliness, this, this openness, this kindness, love, this is a natural state of being. And when that's there, hatred doesn't have a place to stand. There's just, there's no room for it. And I bet we've all experienced that from time to time, where we just feel that, that quiet, peacefulness and that openness to others and just the natural friendliness to life. Maybe that sounds totally foreign. (laughs) Some of you might be thinking, no, that is not my experience. I don't experience that. That's okay too. But it is a possibility. It's a possibility when the heart and the mind are free. And we can have moments of that. We get glimpses of that. Or it's just the natural inclination of the heart and the mind. And metta is said to be this gentle rain that falls uh, without discriminating. It falls on all beings. So it falls on the people who uh, are really difficult. It falls on um, those who are living out there delusion. Um, it falls on us too. You know, we're not separate from it. So metta is this, this state of being, but it's also something that um, we can actually practice and cultivate. Um, you know, if, it's, if that's 
that way of being just sounds really uh, like so far away from your current experience. Um, it is something that we can actually cultivate in response to hatred and anger. And um, sometimes I feel like metta, it's not enough when hatred and uh, anger have really taken hold. When the divisiveness has really taken hold. Um, Sometimes what's actually needed is the practice of forgiveness. And it's not just forgiving others. It's asking for forgiveness. It's asking forgiveness from others, and it's asking forgiveness from our, for ourselves. Oftentimes, we really need to forgive ourselves in order to be able to open and have this experience of, of metta, to even begin the practice of metta. Perhaps there needs to be first this... Uh, practice of forgiveness. How can our metta reign on all beings everywhere if we're holding our hot coal of resentment towards uh, maybe particular people? It doesn't mean we have to uh, invite everybody in to our, our safe places or even like everybody Forgiveness doesn't uh, require that, actually. The Buddha talks about this in the suttas. He, he um, said a lot about forgiveness and the need for forgiveness and how that's actually different from reconciliation, which would be the next step. But with forgiveness, um, forgiveness is, this, is a practice of letting go. It's letting go of that hot coal. It's letting go of... Uh, the pride or the identification to that anger and that hatred. So maybe we could do um, some forgiveness practice right now. I'd love to teach you the forgiveness practice. Does that sound okay? Okay. So in, in terms of the question that was, the questions that have been asked, um, this is a practice that, that helps with all of it. This might help with some of the doubt. Uh, this certainly will help, I believe, with the different difficult internal and external encounters. Um, and there's something through the release of, through forgiveness, that opens up to happiness which seems so counterintuitive when we've really when we're we're asking for forgiveness for something that just seems so far away from happiness but when we let go finally of all that we're holding either against somebody else against ourselves um or just the burden of knowing that we've harmed somebody um then there's suddenly this opening for more joy and more happiness. There's a lightness that can come with this practice. So the practice, um, a formal practice for this, comes in three parts. And the first one is forgiving, asking for forgiveness from others for things that we've done. The second part is uh, granting forgiveness for those who have harmed us. And the third is um, forgiving ourselves for harming others or harming ourselves. And in each one, there's a line that is admitting that sometimes these, this hurtfulness that we've caused is known. We did it, we knew we were doing it, and we did it anyway. And sometimes it's unknown. So we can ask for forgiveness in both cases. So let's try this together and just see what kind of, see what happens. 
We can check in afterwards. So find yourself a comfortable posture. And let your eyes close. And we'll start with the first category of forgiveness. I'll say the phrases and you can repeat them in your mind or just allow the words to uh, settle within yourself and see, see what that's like. To those who I have harmed, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. To those I have harmed, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. To those whom I have harmed, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. So you might just notice certain scenarios or thoughts or memories coming to mind, maybe a particular person or grouping of people. Perhaps there's resistance to this idea of asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's really easy for the heart to open and ask for forgiveness. To those I have harmed, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. And then, if you want, you can continue with that one, or we can move on to the second one, asking, or sorry, granting forgiveness to those who have harmed us. And the truth is that forgiveness practice, the act of forgiving, is not something you can force. It's something that, when it's truly done, happens in its own time. So it might be that there's a particular incident or person whom you're just not ready to forgive yet. Maybe it just doesn't make sense yet to forgive. And so instead of wholeheartedly forgiving, you can incline to someday forgive, knowing that the act really is what's going to free you. 
to those who have harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly. I forgive you. Or, my intention is to someday forgive you. To those who have harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive you. Those who have harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive you. So notice if this brings attention to any hot coals that you're holding on to. As you feel the dukkha of that, that hanging on, see if there's any possibility for wisdom and compassion to start lightening that grip. I forgive you. Or someday I intend to forgive you. Maybe that hot coal is for ourself. And so we can now offer forgiveness towards ourself. For any harm that I've caused towards others or myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I offer myself forgiveness. For any harm that I've caused others or myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I offer myself forgiveness. I offer myself forgiveness. like you can open your eyes if you'd like to stay inward that's fine
These practices are really powerful. There's something so simple about them. There's something also very difficult about them. But the more and more we come and face these parts of ourselves, the freer we are. And maybe some of you got to taste that a little bit. It's the lightness that comes with letting go of these parts of ourselves, of unearthing them, of really looking at them, shining the light on them, dragging them sometimes out of the shadows. The part that's kicking and screaming is not wisdom or compassion. But it can be held by it. It can be held by that wisdom and compassion. It's so much bigger than any of this other stuff. (laughs) So we have a little bit of time. I'd love to hear um, if you have any questions or, or comments about that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, okay. Yes. you mind speaking into the mic? Thanks. And everyone can hear. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about allowing yourself to forgive someone who is so... Yeah, sure. You're welcome. I was just going to talk about, or curious about, you know, allowing myself to forgive someone who is you know, so stubborn and unwilling to accept. They're, like, defending. They're so prideful. Yeah. And giving myself the gift of forgiving them, even if they're not willing to acknowledge their pride. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such an interesting... It's an interesting play relationship. So um, there's the person whose pride that's difficult to... Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there's the person whose pride you're wanting to forgive, but what is it that's preventing the forgiveness of their pride? (laughs) Right? So this person is acting like a mirror... How is so often I think the difficult people in our lives really are. They're they're difficult because we can see ourselves in them, which we don't want to see. And so we you know, make it about them. Uh, so the the key perhaps to that particular relationship is just noticing um, what it brings up in you. What is it that can't let go? What is, what's the part that just feels like uh, they're not deserving or, um, or that you're not ready to let go? And just to keep investigating all of that. Like I said, forgiveness is not something we can force. It's something that happens in its own time. But what helps it move along in time is to stay with it, is to not ignore it, to be curious about it, to see, um, to well, to recognize that there is some kind of clinging, some kind of holding on that's related to our sense of self. Maybe it's related to our sense of worth, um, our pride. To see the dukkha in that, to see that We're just hanging on to our own coal and that it really hurts. The other thing is when it's a, someone who is a uh, repeat offender (laughs) to our, um, to us, meaning um, this is someone who we feel like over and over again, we're having to forgive. 
um, that sometimes it really helps to look at each each moment as its own moment. Uh, we can really easily string together all the stuff. And um, sometimes there can be wisdom in that in terms of, well, how how much interaction we want with this particular person. Are we just kind of in some ways abusing ourselves by staying uh, in contact? So there can be some wisdom in that. And then other times uh, we, we end up really getting... Um, stuck in this view of that person by maybe the handful of annoyances or the handful of um, complaints we have about them and not seeing them for their fullness. You know, we don't see them for the complexity of who they are. It's something our brains do. It's something our brains do um, for comfort. So we love to label. We love to simplify and label. And so we do that with each other, and we get this idea of, well, that's just that, you know, over-talker, and there's that person is a downer, and that person is a whiner, and this person is happy all the time. And, you know, and so we get this, we, we like to, to label and simplify, and everybody is... Way more complex than than those labels, and so sometimes when there's that repeat annoyance, um, we simplify them, and we get stuck in that view. And so to just to notice that as part of of uh, of the practice with that particular person. Yeah, thank you for the question. Mm. Anything else? Well, one thing I've been wondering about lately, um, and I, I, well, one thing I've been wondering about 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 lately is um, how how to how I can work with what I see as bigotry. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I am, I have compassion and understanding for people who, mm, you know, maybe didn't vote the way I did because of um, economic reasons and see reality those kinds of realities in a different way than I do. But what about people who, yeah, are living out that karma of um, bigotry? Yeah. Um, I just don't know what to do with that personally. You know, like, how do I forgive? How do I accept? What, what, What do I do? Yeah. It's an, it's an ongoing investigation. Nothing is outside of our practice. Nothing lives outside of, of what we're doing here. And so we bring it into our practice. So we notice how, how is it affecting us personally? What does it bring up in ourselves? What are the, the thoughts and the emotions? What are the hindrances that are arising? Um, what's our knee-jerk reaction Maybe we're, we can be polite about it on the outside, but really, truly turning inward and seeing what is actually there. Um, are we meeting their hatred with hatred? And then getting in touch with a deep desire, a wholesome desire to be free of that, to not be part of the cycle, to not perpetuate uh, any of that delusion or hatred and through that uh, really committing to let go to forgive committing to uh, wise action and speech Um, committing to be the big kid in the room Um, this doesn't mean to not acknowledge the hurt that it that comes up 
to really to be with the hurt, to to mourn when we need to mourn, to um, feel what is being um, experienced internally, share that, talk with others about that, not to deny it in any way. But if we're going to help each other collectively wake up from the hatred, greed, and delusion, um, someone's got to get off that wheel, (laughs) you know? Yeah, someone has to be um, able to stand in the wisdom and compassion and in the forgiveness and in the metta. Um, someone has to be the example of, of all of that. And so if we commit ourselves to being, to the best of our ability, the example of that, of what's possible, that's what we can do. We don't have to just sit down and close our eyes and, and, and um, be quiet about it. I don't think that's helpful even. Uh, but in the way that we come forward and we speak out and we act out, um, if it's not in alignment with these values, then we're perpetuating something. I think that uh, some of the great uh, peace warriors um, of history understood that deeply and were deeply committed by it. And... um, it's what moves us when we hear their stories. I was just reading about uh, Malala and her. I love her speech to the UN. Every now and then I, when I want to feel inspired, I'll, I'll watch it or read it. And her, she's very young, but um, uh, just the deep wisdom, there's a freedom there where she is actually has no interest in holding on to that coal you know, she has no interest in um, uh, uh, creating more hatred. Zero. It just doesn't seem to exist. She's so committed to f- her own freedom and the freedom of others and really seems to understand what that means, that what the dedication of that means. And yet she's not quiet. And she's inspiring, and she's making things happen. People want to listen to her because of it. Um, yeah, so, so this is how we practice. We just keep looking, keep, keep uh, purifying our own hearts and minds, and then act from that. And we're going to mess up. We're not going to do it perfectly. So that forgiveness practice comes in handy for ourselves because we're, we just won't. We're going to miss up, and that's part of this. But if we stay frozen in it and just allow that greed, hatred, and delusion to fire up and be what's, what comes out of that growl, uh, wisdom and compassion can growl too, by the way. <laughs> So, yeah, it's just up to us to decide which one is is going to speak. Okay, so we're over time, but thank you. And um, we have a couple dedications, um, so we'll dedicate the merit together. We dedicate the merit to all beings May the goodness of our time here together, practicing together, exploring the Dharma together, be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings, may all beings feel uh, safety from inner and outer harm. May all beings have health in their mind and in their body. May all beings have happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings have the taste of freedom. May all beings be free.
Thank you for your attention.